Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Financial Times podcast in association with City Index. Want a 95% mortgage? No problem. It's now guaranteed. But will it really help people get moving? Want a low-cost tracker fund? Sorry, that'll cost you extra, if you can find an advisor to recommend one, that is. And want a bridging loan? Well, yes, you can have one, but only if you promise to use it properly. All of this to come in this week's award-winning FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleague from FT Money, Tanya Poli. Hello. And our special studio guest, Tom Beckett, Chief Investment Officer of Sigma Investment Management. Hello. Let's start then with the money news. On Monday, the government announced new measures to help hard-up buyers onto the property ladder. Most eye-catching of these was the first-ever state-backed mortgage indemnity scheme. It's intended to help 100,000 home buyers who want to buy a new build property but only have a 5% deposit. Under the scheme, any buyer, not just first-time buyers, will get access to a 95% mortgage with lenders getting a guarantee that they will not incur any losses. But housing market analysts have been quick to point out that there will be a cap on mortgage size, no indication as yet of the mortgage rates, and no help for anyone buying in the second-hand market. So, Tanya, you've had a look at these uh, proposals. Um, Is this a boost to the housing market or just hype? I don't know. It's a question that um, will remain to be seen, I think, really. But, I mean, obviously, this Monday, it was, um, you know, revealed to great fanfare. The, um, you know, both um, Cameron and Clegg were kind of involved. And, um, obviously, we've just seen it splashed across all the newspapers this week. But, really, I mean, a lot of people are quite sceptical, actually, how much help this is going to provide to the housing market. Like you mentioned yourself, it's only going to be a new build property. I mean... Really, do we do we even know how many first-time buyers actually want to buy a new build property? Yeah, That's the big point. question. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the concerns about new build market has been that they've been kind of sold at this big premium and they're the, that's the part of the market that's actually seen the biggest falls in house prices and values so really do we want to be like trying to encourage even more first-time buyers to get involved in you know properties where there has been these big falls might be still more to come um, and also you know it's still only five percent five percent deposit exactly and I suppose it's important to point out that uh, this guarantee um, is indemnifying the lender. Yeah, it doesn't it, it doesn't um, let the the buyer off their responsibilities no. to, to to repay the loan or deal with potential negative equity. No, that's the thing. I think the borrower really needs to understand. It's really um, it's it's a way of encouraging lenders to 
to lend more to, um, you know, borrowers with only a small deposit because obviously they've been very, you know, unkeen to do. I mean, part of it's been based around the fact that they have to have like a higher capital ratios now to cover these type of loans. And also it's that part of the market that's obviously more risky because it's such a small amount of the the, the property's value that they're putting up. And um, a lot of what people have been saying this week is actually this strategy, all these strategies that um, the government revealed this Monday, none of it actually goes to help the squeeze middle. So a lot of like none of the focus actually helps those who already have their home and they want to move on but can't because they're not seeing any kind of you know there's they can't either afford to move on because they can't get the finance or they haven't got that much demand from you know the the lower end of the market but the squeezed middle of course mm-hmm. is, uh, is is Miliband's uh, word of the year apparently according Maybe to so. Oxford Dictionary <laughs> so you're never going to hear Cameron and Clegg uh, talk about the uh, the squeezed middle but uh, let's just look at the other side of the coin though um, for those people who do want to buy a mm-hmm. new build property, yep. they haven't got a 5% deposit. Um, will they now actually get mortgage choice? Has, you know, has anyone signed up to this scheme? Yeah, we've actually seen um, quite a few of the big lenders um, confirm that they will get involved. Um, so we've got the likes of Barclays, HSBC, Lloyds Banking Group, Nationwide. So that's all really the big names have kind of said, yes, we're happy to get involved. Um, also, a lot of home builders have said that they want to get involved in the scheme because basically the scheme's open to any home builder or any lender that wants to get involved. Um, at the moment, obviously, we don't know um, what this cap on the value of the property will be. Um, so, again, that's going to be interesting because will it help people in London? Because obviously we know the average like um, price of a property in London is much, much different compared to the rest of the UK. Um, also, we don't really know what the kind of the rates will be. So it depends still if it's actually affordable for people. So hard to know if it's going to add any competition uh, for high loan-to-value mortgages. I suppose, though, inevitably it, it, it will it will increase choice a bit because at the moment there's there's almost nothing at 95%, percent no, especially for new build. I mean, there's been a bit of an increase in terms of um, loans available for people with 5% deposit because um, I think it reached like a low of nine, just nine loans available um, back in sort of 2009. Um, now there's around 37 loans available. But this is actually for those in the second-hand sales market. So these are for people who are buying older homes, not new build. Um, what we saw in the new build mortgage market was actually um, most lenders um, after the credit crisis, they basically... Um, cap their maximum loan to value at around 75%. We have seen some easing. Some have kind of gone up to sort of 80-85%. But there's only, I think there's only a couple of specific schemes with um, certain house builders who've actually actively um, decided to go out there on their own and talk to lenders to get specific 95% loan to value schemes on new build. So this really will open up the choice on that that part of the market. It will. Tom, just a quick view from you. Uh, Do you see it making any difference to the housing market? Well, 95% loan-to-value mortgages, I thought we'd um, seen the last of those, but obviously we're back to the irresponsible and doomed days that we saw earlier on in the uh, in the previous decade. I mean, from my own perspective, I'm no property expert, but um, you know, is this going to force banks to uh, offer more loans in a period when they're deleveraging? I think probably not. Banks don't want to take risk, and banks are being forced to raise their capital. So I think um, the whole concept of the 95% loan-to-value mortgage is probably one which is um, not going to be one which is infusing the uh, finance directors of various banks in the UK. I think the other point is as well, of course, that you know this is a very small scheme. Is this really going to help the fact that we have two pretty um, big themes in the UK for next year? One is almost certainly a recession. Um, I think people will be reticent about taking on 
on new properties um, in a recessionary environment. And I think the second fact is, and this is probably uh, more true to the southeast of England now than anywhere else, is the fact that with the financial sector about to um, make a huge cut of employees as we move into 2012, the encouragement for people to go out and buy new properties I still think is going to be pretty low. So um, from a big picture perspective, I think um, irresponsible and doomed are probably the two words I would use to, uh, to sum it up. Well, yes, uh, not many uh, new-build Dockland flats going to be sold, uh, taking that uh, that gloomy view. Uh, thanks, Tom and uh, Tanya. And for answers uh, to all of the key questions about this new scheme, make sure you read Tanya's article in the money section of this weekend's FT and on our website at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, using bridging loans, or rather not. First, though, index tracker funds. Sales of these low-cost stock market funds, which typically charge only half a percent a year, have boomed in recent months as investors have seemingly tired of paying 1.5% or more to active managers who fail to protect them from market falls. According to the Investment Management Association, £1.7 billion has flowed into trackers in the year to date, almost double the level in the same period in 2010. But this week, One fund platform provider, Hargreaves Lansdowne, I'm sure you know of them, said it would impose an extra charge on investors trying to buy a cheap tracker because selling these funds isn't cost-effective. Tracker charges are so low that their managers can't afford to pay commission or admin fees to firms like Hargreaves. So someone has to pay, and that someone is now you. But ask Hargreaves, or indeed eight other major advice firms, to suggest a good tracker... And they won't. An FT Money survey found that 9 out of 16 intermediaries refuse to put these simple products on their recommended fund lists. Tom, what do you think they've all got against trackers? Why do they dislike them so much? Well, I can't really understand why they've got such a um, lack of passion for using them, because really, if we look at the wealth management and fund management industry over the last couple of years, there's been two significant shifts. Um, The first significant shift is that um, investors and clients are much more focused on performance and cost, uh, and these funds actually play quite well into into those themes. Um, So from our perspective, we think that actually using um, passive funds is quite a good way to bring down costs for clients, but also to make sure that you achieve the performance aims that clients want to achieve. Certainly in the last few years, a number of active fund managers either underperformed in the um, dire days of 2007, 2008 and 2000, or early 2009, and then many of them also failed to pick up the recovery. So really, the allure of the star fund manager has waned in the last few years. Um, so we can't really work out why people aren't recommending to use these funds more and more for people's part of their core equity exposure, as we have done. So for me, I can't really find that many reasons to justify disliking these funds. Uh, Well, the cynic in me can find one potential reason, uh, which is that if you sell an active fund with a a high annual charge, you get a nice kickback if you are the Mm -hmm. advisor or platform selling it. If you sell a low-cost tracker, there's nothing in it for you. Well, I think in the wealth management industry, that's obviously become harder and harder because obviously we now use institutional units, which I think is one of the good things that has come out of the retail distribution review. Um, for fund platforms, I have less than an insight into it. But, um, you know, given that a number of these platforms are thinking about going to a charging structure for clients to access funds off their platform, I would suggest that the margins are already there to allow people to invest into active funds and also passive funds if they want to at reduced fees. I mean, I hope that was going to be one of the big building blocks that's come out of the RDR. Um, if that's not the case, 
case, and I think there are more questions to be answered answered in the years ahead. Yeah, well, the RDR you mentioned, the Retail Distribution Review coming into force in in 2013, will get rid of this problem in a way uh, because everyone will pay fees for the advice. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, uh, there'll be no commission involved, and presumably um, any intermediary can recommend any any type of fund. Uh, in the meantime, though, um, for somebody who's considering buying a, a tracker fund, uh, what are the questions to ask and things to look for? Um, well, I think there's two ways of getting access to passive equity investment or passive asset class investment. Um, there, You can either buy a listed ETF or you can buy a passive fund. I think when it comes to listed ETFs, there's been a spotlight shone on the industry by the regulators recently, and I think with good reason, because people were buying ETFs and actually weren't necessarily buying physically backed um, exchange-traded funds. So physically backed is when the provider goes out and replicates the index by buying shares in the in those specific companies which constitute the, um, the index. The other way of accessing it through an ETF was when they were using a swap-based derivative, um, which would mean you were getting sort of derivative exposure to an index, which in this world of heightened financial uncertainty, we don't think is a particularly good idea. Now, the way that we think the best way of accessing um, passive investment is through passive funds, the likes of funds provided by Legal and General Investment Management or Vanguard, a recent provider to the UK out of the US, a behemoth provider of those funds in the US, um, which have all the attributes that we think of passive equity investments are good. They're physically backed, they're fully replicated and they're also cost efficient on behalf of our clients so you know one of the things that are we've seen from our clients who are much more focused on transparency of cost and performance is that certain clients want us to have as our core equity weightings investments in these passive funds so they can pick up the performance and not suffer from underperformance from active funds and at the same time using satellite active funds to try and pick up market trends as and when they happen whether they're recovery funds or high quality defensive funds which have been more in fashion in recent months so that blend is more and more what we're focusing on for our clients, which we find is giving us access to the exact equity investments we want, but also at the right cost. And that point about a blend, I think, is important. I, I often get accused of being pro-passive tracker and anti-active, which I'm absolutely not. I, I think it's a question of horses for courses. Choose a passive fund for certain markets and an active fund in others. Presumably, that's something that, that you're doing on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that what we found recently with regards to markets being so volatile um, is that if you get it right and you actually manage to time uh, a period of equity market weakness or equity market strength, probably the latter more important here, if you go out and buy an active fund and for one reason or another that fund doesn't pick up the upside of markets, you kick yourself for having got the decision right and the access wrong. ETFs allow you to get that decision right. That's why they're important for our portfolios. And I think as we go forward, they'll carry on being a concrete bedrock in our portfolios um, in the years ahead. Tom, thank you very much indeed. And for a four-page guide to the relative merits, costs and returns of index trackers and actively managed funds, turn to the money section of this weekend's FT or go online to ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, bridging loans. These short-term financing options have increased in popularity since the economic downturn, as the weak housing market has made it harder for people to sell properties quickly. Gross lending via these products has risen to £800 million so far this year. But while bridging can serve a purpose, especially for those who need to complete on a new property before they receive the sale proceeds on their old home, there are now growing concerns that mortgage brokers are using bridging for the wrong reasons. Last week, the Financial Services Authority warned brokers that they should not use bridging for imaginative solutions. Tanya, imaginative solutions, what do they mean by that? 
I think they're slightly concerned that um, obviously we've seen this big increase of bridging loans being used and actually a huge number of um, bridging companies being created. Um, I think they're concerned that um, a lot of brokers or some brokers, we don't don't have any kind of actually quantifiable amount at the moment, but are using them to almost replace um, kind of self-certification mortgages or some prime mortgages, which obviously we've seen kind of disappear from the market um, following the, the subprime crisis, basically. I think they're worried that basically they're offering them to borrowers who actually can't really afford them and are using them as a kind of like a long-term financing cost to kind of, in, a, in the replacement of actually a normal traditional mortgage. Which surprises me because I've always thought of bridging loans as being very expensive um, yeah. because they're just used for these sort of short periods, perhaps, you know, perhaps a few months mm-hmm. uh, between one transaction completing and another one going through. Yeah. Um, surely uh, people who are using them for these other reasons can't sustain the repayments, can they? Well, that's the problem, I think. I think um, brokers are going to, and this could be a short-term option for you, uh, with a view that maybe, you know, saying to the borrower, you, your uh, situation might change, it might get better, then you'd be able to afford to go on to a normal loan. I think that's what the FSA is concerned about, that actually a lot of these people really, really can't afford it and are having to default and, you know, it's causing problems. And I think they're just concerned that it's an area that could spiral out of control and they really want to kind of feel like, you know, warm brokers that they actually keep an eye on this part of the market. So just to sort of recap on the proper uses mm-hmm. of, of, of bridging loans, we've talked about people who, you know, in this slow housing market, you know, they, they find their dream property mm-hmm. and they want to buy it, but they just cannot find a seller. Yep. yep. In those circumstances, presumably bridging perfectly okay. I think that's a, it's a, it's a, that's what bridging is designed for ultimately. And um, the FSA even acknowledges itself it has a very good part in the market to offer that. Um, it also, I think a lot of the brokers I've been speaking to saying, you know, when people use it for... So um, for more commercial purposes, so, so a buy-to-let landlord um, finds a property they want, but it needs to be refurbished, and obviously they can't get buy-to-let financing in the meantime for that, then that's still deemed a fine use of bridging um, because they're obviously going to be able to have that rental income there afterwards to be able to get a normal buy-to-let um, loan. Also, another way um, that's fine to use bridging is in the purpose of buying a property via an auction. A lot of people use it that way as well. And I suppose the, the the most important thing to remember is before you enter into any kind of bridging loan discussions, make sure you know exactly what the cost is going to be and how long you'll need it. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point because, like you said earlier, it's extremely extortionate, like, costs. I mean, you're seeing, um, you're often having to charge an entry fee of around 2%, also exit fee of about 2- 1 to 2%, and then you're often, the monthly interest rate is around 1%. 1% to 1.5%. And when you compare that to what, you know, you could get on a mortgage these days, that's sort of 2.99% for a year. Um, it's a big, big difference. It's a lot more expensive. Daniel, thank you very much for explaining the rights and wrongs. And for more on the legitimate uses of bridging loans, make sure you read Tanya's article in the money section of this weekend's FT. That's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you will find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, blog posts and top tips on our website, ft.com forward slash money. You can also follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash FT Money. And if you'd like us to answer a question about any aspect of your finances, just email us at ask at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Tanya, and our special guest, Tom Beckett of Sigma Investment Management. Goodbye. Goodbye. This is the Financial Times podcast in association with City Index. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat 
rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.